Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a new friend, a good friend, Brendan Kelly of the Lawrence Arms, of, of, of so much more. But for the purposes of this show, as you know, because we started at the beginning, of the band Slapstick. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, go to that email. There's a, sorry, go to that email address. You can go to the website, DamienAbraham.com. There's a email address there. You can find me on Facebook. If you go to turnoutapunk.facebook.com, there's a Tumblr page, or maybe that's facebook.com slash turnoutapunk. Well, however you find it, it's on Facebook. It's on Tumblr. Uh, you can find me on various forms of social media at Damien. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, you can also support this show. If you want to support this show, the best way to do so is by writing a review, subscribing to it, rating it. Um, and yeah, that's the best way to help. And some people that are really helping the show come to you each and every week are the good folks at Vans. Uh, people at Vans have been helping me out in my band for a long time, <laughs> getting us to play shows and stuff, but they've been helping out this podcast and, uh, I really appreciate it. They don't tell me what to do. They haven't been on me because episodes have been late. They've been super chill. And so I got to say thank you, Vans, because my God, it's been a hectic time. Uh, I guess before we get into today's episode, I owe all of you listening a, a massive, massive apology. Uh, the show producer, Tristan Abraham, my brother, has been on me to put this episode out for a while now. The problem was uh, for, I had no internet service available to me in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo where we were filming. Right now, for those of you who don't know, who don't listen to the show regularly, I'm in the process of filming a wrestling TV show for Vice. And we've been traveling all over the world for the last six months, and most recently in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And now I'm talking to you from a hotel room in Florida, in fact, where it's super late at night. And I guess basically the reality has been I've been kind of trying to keep up with the show consistently. And it's finally kind of caught up with me that it's kind of hard to do that while I've been traveling so much and doing all this other stuff. It's not like being in a band, shooting a TV show, go figure in a band, you have a lot more free time. <laughs> like you're just in a van for hours. You're at a venue. There's other bands around when you're making a TV show about wrestling. Uh, it, there's not a lot of punks sometimes, you know, uh, this will be an exception on this trip that I'm on right now. Believe me, I will get some episodes recorded, but I, I guess what I'm rambling on trying to explain to everyone is that I'm really sorry that this, the show has not been more consistent when it's been coming out. And I promise you when things slow down, we'll get back on that regular schedule. But until that time, it's, it's going to be kind of, kind of like this turn out a punk will be coming out. Every week, hopefully, but sometimes it's going to be every two weeks or, you know, well, let's try and keep it every two weeks for now. <laughs> uh, but there's only two more episodes of this TV show for me to record. And then it's back to being turned out of punk full time. Uh, so, yeah, this is just sort of this rambling rant of an exhausted person at three o'clock in the morning in a hotel room in Orlando, apologizing to all of you for, you know, the show not being there all the time, because I really appreciate each and every one of you that comes back and checks it out every week. And I know how annoying it is when your favorite podcast isn't there. Yes, Talking Sheets, I'm talking to you. When are you going to come back with another episode? I've been waiting forever. Um, but I digress. So once again, 
sorry, everyone. And I thank you for continuing to check in on this podcast and listen to it. And I promise you, we will get back to our normal schedule soon. It's Wait till you see this TV show, though. Oh, my God. I am so excited for people to see this thing. It is incredible, some of the stuff I've gotten to see. And now I get to share it with you, too. So but that's nothing to do with this podcast. Today on the show, we have Brendan Kelly. Now, Brendan Kelly is someone that I first met when Vans brought me down to the House of Vans. And I got an opportunity to interview him live on stage. But, you know, when you do the live podcast, they're great. They're amazing. I love doing them. You never really get a chance to go in depth with the person that you're talking to because you only have a limited amount of time. It's kind of awkward to do it when other people are watching. Um, it's kind of like urinating in public in that way, I guess. But it, it's something that we know when I did this thing with Brendan, not urinating in public. I mean, did this live podcast. I was like, you got to come back on the show and we can do this one for real. And he did. And it's awesome. <laughs> you know, like he's someone that I think lived out. Certainly my uh, teenage fantasy of playing in a hugely popular, successful band. And I think the thing that's amazing is that he walked away from it. And, you know, that's just now for a lot of people, that would be the end of their musical career. But for him, it's just a footnote because, of course, he's in the Lawrence Arms and he's got, you know, other projects and everything. And he's become kind of like an icon for this era. And this is having been <laughs> the sort of teenage ska punk superstar for a minute, but we're going to get into all that in a second. Um, he's a great, great person to talk to. I had a really fun time doing it and I'm not going to blather on anymore because I would love to go to bed, relax and enjoy Brendan Kelly on turned out a punk. Uh, oh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank We're you. good. No, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, no, dude, I was just saying thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's a part two, uh, but this time we get to actually delve deep. That's right, man. So, that's, that's, a, that's my favorite way to delve, actually. Well, I, you know, it's the only way I delve, to be honest with you, except when oh, yeah. Vans is putting us up in the lap of luxury. And, yes, exactly. Uh, Getting us to talk at a crazy show. I was just saying that was a, that was a wild scene, man. That was a fun show. That was an amazing show. I was going to say that's like one of the I don't know, uh, like out of all the House of Van type experiences that I've had, your show was like one of the craziest crowds, like most rabid, and it was like it was like a weeknight too, right? Yeah, it was a Wednesday, I believe. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I think it's like that fucking. Uh, Slow burn punk band thing, you know, like, uh, I mean, I've, I, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves or anything, but it's like, I've been doing this for a fucking long ass time and I've never been in one of those bands that like jumped in popularity all of a sudden, though I've like, definitely been on tour with <laughs> bands that were opening for us who have done that, you know, <laughs> which is cool. But, but, uh, <laughs> but like, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the best parts about that is that like, our fans have kind of like just like slowly grown with us. And so the, the results at this point are pretty spectacular. I'm, uh, you know, I, it's, it's nice to, you know, maybe never be like a fucking taking back Sunday or something like that. But at the same time, always just get a little bit bigger and have, you know, have fun and have that connection the whole, throughout the whole thing. Well, as you said, we've jumped way ahead and I got to start this thing off the way I start them all off, which is 
Brendan, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, well, yeah, there's like a, it's a two-pronged, uh, I guess that wouldn't be a sword, uh, <laughs> two-pronged uh, barbecue fork, I suppose, uh, in, is the answer to this. Um, so on one hand, um, like I, I didn't have like any older brothers or anything like that. Nobody to like really show me anything that was cool. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, always like very, very isolated as a kid. I lived just like me and my mom in a small apartment. And, you know, I didn't, and she traveled a lot for her work. And so I was alone quite a bit of the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I lived around the corner from the store Reckless Records, which was like a, you know, like the neighborhood I lived in was like kind of like, bohemian or whatever and it was one of the only uh um actual businesses in my neighborhood and i liked music you know i listened to the radio and stuff like that all the time and uh i would walk around the corner to this store and they sold tapes and i was just like so entranced by the fact that i'd never heard of any of these bands they weren't on the radio and i just like flipped through the tapes and you know i like did chores around the house made an allowance i had nothing to spend it on i wasn't like into like drugs or cars or anything like that i was a little i was a little kid you know, so I just buy tapes every week, and I would just like slowly amass this collection. I had like, I was really like a fucking swordsman in the dark, just like blindly stabbing at stuff. You know, I just like judge it like based on the album cover or the name of the band or whatever. And I amassed this like really weird esoteric collection of tapes. And uh, you know, one would be like funk, and I would listen to that. And another would be metal. Another would be like <laughs> just like like splattercore and you know, but the ones that like really sort of like appealed to me were like minor threat, bad brains, uh, you know, bad religion, like these, these sort of like, you know, I, what are now I know is like tentpole punk rock bands. But at the time it was just like, Oh, these are bands just like these other ones, but these are the ones that I think are the coolest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no way to put it together at that point. Right. Like it's, you had to stab in the dark, even when you got into stuff it was still stabbing in the dark because there's no way to check it out beforehand really right and there and there was no like litmus test again it was it wasn't like i had an older brother that was like oh these guys are dorks but this stuff is cool (laughs) you know it's like so i to me like alice in chains and uh minor threat were like kind of the same yeah (laughs) you know and and so like i i you know i was just like sort of like bopping along by myself and i had a friend who had gotten a cassette of uh, Bucky Fellini, the Dead Milkman record. Mm-hmm. And I think I was like maybe 10 or 11 when he played that for me. And that was like, I was like, holy shit, I love this so much. This is like the greatest thing I've ever heard. And that was the, that was the first record I really latched onto from like the punk genre. Yeah. And, um, and from there again, it was just like collecting these tapes and sort of living in this like weird Galapagos island version of like music consumption and uh i didn't even hear the phrase punk rock until i was already in the band slapstick really yeah i didn't i didn't know that that was a thing (laughs) do you guys kind of like formed as just like a band and then no those guys were all a lot more like uh sophisticated in terms of like understanding the genre and knowing which bands like sort of fit into it and stuff like that i learned everything i know about like punk rock and songwriting and everything from those guys that are, were in slapstick with me. I mean, like I, I came in, <laughs> they were the guys that were like, this is your record collection. How do you have these like five kick-ass tapes 
and then these like seven completely lame tapes right next to him. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought those were pretty cool. This one, the guy sings like a chicken the whole time. You know, like it was just, it was just like a, so that that was like a real sort of trial by fire. Once I met up with those guys and got into that band, they they sort of were like, no, 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 no. Uh, this stuff is cool. This stuff is not. You should really cut your hair. It's very long. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, like you mentioned, you were into stuff before, like um, be, before like getting into like punk stuff. Like, what was the stuff you were listening to on the TV? Like, were you watching like MTV or sort of like rock radio? Oh, I was super into MTV. Um, they had it was it was before TRL. Um, they would just have a, like a, a countdown uh, every every day right mm-hmm. and i watched the shit out of that i mean like so like poison was a hugely important band to me <laughs> yep. and guns Same. guns and roses Same. um you know um metallica i also liked like paul abdul i thought it was pretty kick-ass <laughs> you know like I, I i had i had no there was no rudder in my sailboat at all yep. <laughs> you know yeah so so it, it was just like it was all like super uh, it was just super esoteric and weird. Um, I mean, not in ter- not in a cool way, not in like a <laughs> you know fucking like naked lunch kind of way. It was like esoteric the way like the weird girl in the sorority is like I like all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was me essentially. So where did you kind of go from? Like, had you been to any concerts prior to getting into slapstick? My first concert was the Dead Milkmen. Oh, awesome. Um, and I was 12 and they played at Metro and that was awesome. And then later that week I saw Jawbreaker at Reckless at the record store. They played there on the Unfun tour and that was like a Tuesday and Unfun came out on that. No, uh, uh, records came out on Tuesdays back in the day. So yeah, yeah. it was like a Thursday and then it came out the next Tuesday. That's so awesome. So how, yeah, it, you're like my age, right? Like, so you would have been like, you know, this would have been as these records are coming out, like were the people at Reckless cool? Because you're like a young kid coming in, kind of getting into cool stuff. Yeah, well, no, they weren't cool. <laughs> you know, um, because it's also independent record stores, so. They, they weren't lame to me or anything, but they just like, there was like definitely just like a, you know, a professional distance that they kept from me. I was just like a dorky kid. Yeah. You know, that was in there. It's not like I became fast friends with anybody. It's not like, you know, I'd go to the skate shop and like my friend, Chris, who I just knew from working at the skate shop, you know, he'd be like, let's put some new grip tape on your board. You know, like I had that sort of camaraderie with some people in like the little like subculture that I existed in by myself. <laughs> but, uh, but in terms of reckless, they no, they didn't give two shits about me at all. So were you just kind of so, like with the Jawbreaker shows that just kind of like you're like, oh, this band's coming and playing around the corner from my house. Or were you like a fan of the seven inches or I was in the record store flipping through the tapes, looking for something to buy. And uh, I asked the dude at the counter what was playing over the PA. And he was like, oh, it's this band Jawbreaker from Oakland. And actually, they're going to be here on Thursday, so you should come. And oh, so I was awesome. like, oh, oh, okay. You know, I, I was like, what time? And it was, you know, it was like four. Yeah. So I got out of school <laughs> and I just went over there. And, you know, that uh, video of that show is on YouTube and you can see me at one point. I like turn around and face the camera. <laughs> I mean, there was only like 12 people there. So that's, well, that's like, so like, you know, that's like a, a you know, here we are in the, uh, you know, summer of their return and yeah. 
they're such a seminal band, but like that's like such a key moment for that band. Like to see them that early is so sick. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, like you know, obviously I didn't grasp the import of what I was seeing at the time, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I did. I was like, oh shit, this is really really cool and good, you know. And it sort of colored my opinion of like what cool and good stuff was you know i mean much in the same way that like kids think that their dad is cool you know it's just like the first thing i saw that was awesome i was like yep i love love that but it's amazing with like the broadways like how you have like obviously it's more crimp shrine but it's that bay area kind of gruff pop punk influence like it, it it obviously struck a chord with you that resonated for a while yeah i mean you know the thing is that like when uh when slapstick started um that was Matt, the guitar player. He called me. He was like, hey, you want to sing for this band? We're going to be playing like ska. And I was like, I have no idea what ska is. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, like Operation Ivy. And I'm like, oh, I love Operation Ivy. He's like, yeah, that's like what we're trying to do. And I was like, oh, cool. So it's like that Bay Area influence unwittingly was something that has like always been present in any of my like professional endeavors. So when you like look to rail mode, like where there's, there's obviously other kids around you at this time that are kind of like in a punk, did you just like not like try and gravitate to their kind of orbit or was it just kind of, you know, just by chance that you hadn't really hung out with those kids? Well, I, again, I was pretty young. Yeah. So there was really nobody, none of my peers were really like into punk, you know, like not even like none of my friends, but just like nobody I knew. I saw some older kids that like dressed kind of cool at my school, but I didn't know that they were punks and they, I don't know if they knew they were punks. I, you know, I I still to this day, I can look back and think about some of these older kids and be like, were they punk or were they just like into the like Bauhaus and shit? I don't, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So like it was, it really was until like, you know, like I got really into all this stuff and then, you know, some of my friends that I hung out with, I was like, you got to hear these records. They're really cool. And so, like, we sort of developed this little, like, bizarre siloed subculture where we listened to all the same weird shit that I was buying. And then they start buying stuff, too, you know? Well, how did you kind of fall in with the, the guys in Slapstick, then, who are obviously, as you say, like, more developed in their tastes and awareness? So, uh, me and Chris, who's in the Lawrence Arms with me, still um we were best friends at at an early age and we decided to start a band and so we started a band and it was called glad hand and (laughs) we we played a show at this place called the gateway theater in elgin or not in elgin uh way way out west in chicago on lawrence avenue and the whole thing was it was like a they give you tickets if you sell 50 tickets you get a buck a ticket 75 you get two bucks hundred, you get three bucks a ticket. So we did the math and we'd sold 90 tickets. And we're like, if we buy the last 10 tickets, we still make money. And so we sold, you know, they, they ripped us off. They only gave us a buck a ticket. So we ended up breaking even on the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> at that, at that show, there's this band called Slugbug that played. And then we ended up, we were the only two bands that sold all hundred tickets. And we ended up playing another show in Aurora together, which is a suburb of far suburb of Chicago. Oh, and I know from Wayne's World, believe me. Oh, yeah. It's a great place. Yeah. And uh, so when uh, 
when that show in Aurora went down, afterwards I called them to see where they got their really professional-looking demo tapes made. And that was when Matt was like, hey, you know, we got this band, we're looking for a singer. And I didn't know that, I guess, apparently he had, been, he had like had this entire plan in mind to get me to sing for the band, but, which I still don't understand because I was terrible, but that's how it went down. So, like, and, and when you guys, when you and Chris formed that very first band, what was that kind of like, what were your inspirations in forming a band at that point, too? Was like, had you seen any other young bands, or was it just like, we got to do this? No, no, it was just like, we wanted to be in a band, you know, um, the, the music was like all over the place, like, one song would like have like our, our bass player was like a super like funky dude he's like a yeah. all skinny he looked like he looked like beaker from the muppets but black and he had like big big dreadlocks and he was like an amazing bassist but you know he like kind of slapped and popped and shit and then yeah wouldn't play with had, a pick yeah. yeah oh no he didn't play with a pick He'd, yeah you yeah. know then our drummer was really into like pearl jam and yep. faith no more and shit yeah so it was like it i think was i've been typical. in this band i think you yeah. were in the same band at one point <laughs> yeah it's quite possible, but you know, so it was like one of those bands that was just like a kids disaster band where like everything just <laughs> sounded like a totally different band. But um, the one thing that came out of that band was I was really, really into the Goo Dolls mm-hmm. and um, particularly the record Jed. And then when Hold Me Up came out, I was like, holy fuck, this is awesome. And Robbie, the bass player, who used to be the main singer, mm-hmm. he had this really cool voice. And before that, I'd always tried to sing like Joe from the Dead Milkmen, and which was terrible sounding. You know, I mean, <laughs> Joe's got a very unique thing going on. He's amazing, but but uh, imitated is yeah, yeah impersonators. No, thank you. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I I decided there's we had this one song, and I was like, I'm gonna try to sing this like that guy in the Goo Goo Dolls, and I just like straight up started impersonating him, and that was became like my singing voice for everything because it just sounded so much better and that's sort of i think the the style that drew the the dudes from Slugbug to think that i would be a good good fit for their band so it uh, glad hand was overall a complete disaster but i did kind of learn what my singing style was just by completely aping someone else but still it's amazing how the goo goo dolls haven't had that kind of moment of reassessment where they've, unless I'm unaware of it, where they've gone out and just done those early records again and kind of like gone for trying to recap for that period because they're so good. Those early records. Yeah, they are really good. But the thing is, well, first of all, they don't totally hold up that well. I mean, as like full albums, I mean, yeah. there's a so- song here and there. That's like, just like, fuck, that's so good. But it really is so nineties. And <laughs> And second of all, I mean, those guys made some of the biggest fucking records of the 90s and early 2000s. It's like, I don't, I don't see their end game and being like, you know what would be great? Remember those records that nobody gave a shit about when we were a different band? Let's yeah, do those we're, again. we're in a world where Dave Grohl's sitting there remixing Blast records. Like, anything can happen. And like, <laughs> Yeah, but okay, so check this out. I had, a, um, like I said, my mom traveled a lot. Yeah. Um, for work and so my uh my mom hired well hired uh we had a college student that lived with us she was an art student at columbia mm-hmm. she actually is the woman who edited the black hole sun video she did that while she lived in my house wow that's um, awesome <laughs> yeah it's crazy and uh and um she uh went to see the goo goo dolls and i was like you gotta take me and she's like now nah, it's 21 and over and she said that when she went and saw them at metro also and this was you know, 
the 80s, late 80s maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, she said they played Shout, like a little bit softer now, a little bit. <laughs> so I don't think they had any delusions of like punk rock credibility at any point in their career. <laughs> you know, I think I think the Goo Goo Dolls were like fucking swinging for the fences from day one. Uh, so well, it's like it's like the Misfits when you think about the Misfits back in the day. It's like they were punk just be by default. Like you know, right. they, if they well, could have been anything else, they would have been that too. Yeah, but the, the Misfits, I, I talk about this all the time. Those guys, I mean, they were so fucking ahead of their time. It's insane. It's like it's 1977. They come out and they're like, all right, here's the deal. We dress as zombies. We're all bodybuilders. I'm going to sing like Elvis. All the songs are going to be about horror movies. We're going to wear makeup. And here's the hairstyle we all have. And nobody else has this hairstyle. <laughs> it's like motherfuckers are just catching up to that now. Yep, yep. That was like, that's 40 fucking years ago that they're doing all this. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's, it's, it's amazing the, how fully realized that band was. Like, it's like Kiss levels. Yeah. I mean, Kiss ain't shit compared to the Misfits. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean that in every single way but uh, like they, you know like i mean kids they're just like yeah we're clouds we're from space you know it's like okay that's that's wild you know but i mean like that's like that's like one click off of david bowie really right yeah yeah so like the misfits were just like i mean just the fact that like the the actual content of the songs are like about like raping babies and shit it's just like dude yeah, it's, and, when you go and back you know, and listen to the lyrics, like that's the thing when those when those reunion shows happen, and you go back and you're like, ah, am I really going to sing along, like chant along to this song? Is it yeah, that, it's so fucking crazy, man. <laughs> but um, oh, I forgot one other thing that was like very like punk rock in my early days, and this is when I lived in Missouri. So this is even before I lived in Chicago. When I was really little, my babysitter was the drummer for an SST band. What band? They're called Blind Idiot God. They were like, oh, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My babysitter was the drummer for that band. And when their fucking 12 inch came out, he like brought it to me. I still have the original pressing of it. Probably. That is fucking crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, like, and he got me really into fucking Kiss and Van Halen and shit like that. Twisted Sister. That was what he was really into. The Jay Giles band. So he would play me records and stuff. So. Yeah, that's amazing. I guess yeah. it's really it was really destiny that, that brought me here. Yeah, you had no you nowhere to go but but to punk. So yeah, exactly. I guess like um, well, actually, what was what was that band that uh, that was the pre slapstick band that you joined? Gladhand. Oh, no, Glad. Was that no? What was the other band that the other guys had? Oh, Slugbug. Slugbug. What was the vibe of Slugbug? Slugbug was like uh, Green Day. Okay. It sounded like Green Day. Okay. Um, they were really, really a very good band. Even to this day, there's a couple of Slugbug songs that hold up. I mean, those I can't stress enough. Like, Robbie Kellenberger and Matt Stamps are both absolute musical geniuses. And, like, the two of them in any band is going to be fucking unbelievable. And even as, like, 15-year-olds, they're writing songs that are insane. So what, I guess, like, yeah, you got asked to join this band. Are you much younger than them, or what's the age difference? Um, no, we're the same age. So Matt and Robbie were, like, one year older than me in school, but we were about the same age. And then Danny was a year younger than me. Um, Danny, who's in the Alpine Trio now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we were all the same age, but it's just, like, they had a subculture and a community and stuff. They, for... 
I guess I would say the real like salient difference is that they grew up in the suburbs where things were like really clickish, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of did like join a tribe for lack of a better term. And I, I grew up in the city where it was just like, there, there was too big for that kind of like cloistering to even go down. Yeah. No, and it just seems like, I, and I think it's the same way in Toronto as it was in Chicago. Like it, in that period, uh, punk was relegated to the suburbs. Like there was just so much of it happening in the suburbs. Like I growing up in downtown Toronto was the same way. Like I had to have like the, the funky bass player and the drummer that wasn't really into anything discernible whatsoever in my first band you're in trouble <laughs> so you know i think it's it's a downtown problem because all my friends from the suburbs had fully developed scenes like there was like food not bombs going on at the same time totally toronto we were just like you know figuring out the ra type thing so yeah it was definitely i think yeah the, yeah no totally i mean it's it's crazy the uh the um the crash course that i took in like punk rock subculture when i got out to hang out with those guys was like oh shit this there's a lot going on here you're doing shows in pizza places and shit this is crazy <laughs> you know i i i had no inkling that that kind of thing existed at all but, but you had already been to like a few shows you had been to that jawbreaker show the dead milkman show did you go to any other shows prior to kind of like hooking up with these guys like you no thing? no like local shows oh well we went and saw naked ray gun but that's like a hard well, thing to explain because naked ray gun would play like Four times a year in Chicago, they play at the Riviera, which is like two and a half thousand. They'd sell it out every time, mm-hmm. and it was just like this insane local thing that, to me, they were like as big as poison. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I had no. It, it didn't seem like a DIY independent situation whatsoever. I think if you're not from Chicago, I don't think you can ever truly appreciate or understand Naked Raygun. It just seems to me like they're a band that is so like patty from d4 had that thing like your replacements and husker do is my naked ray gun and it's so they're just like that band for chicago yeah i mean it, it really is true and the thing is that like you know the culture moves in like a stream right mm. and you can be something with you are a creative person in any uh sort of artistic sense that is lucky enough that what you do ends up going down that stream and Naked Raygun kind of like took this weird tributary because no bands are trying to sound like Naked Raygun anymore. It's a very dated, weird sounding thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which makes it, which makes it hard for them to have like the renaissance that they probably deserve. And they probably, if I was those guys, I'd be like, where's our fucking, you know, headlining riot fest. I mean, fucking jawbreaker. We were, Planned to two and a half thousand people four times a year, <laughs> you know. But it's like, it's like your songs are just weird, and they're not. Uh, the culture didn't go that way, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so. There's a lot of stuff from that time period that you're right. It's just kind of like, it's it's kind of like that other side of funky, and yeah, it just won't. It hasn't caught on in the same way because everyone else is like, you know, like there's. You're right. There's other Sonics that people are nostalgic for, and not that. Right, exactly. I mean, like, you know, a, a perfect example from Chicago is, like, Screeching Weasel is a band where the music from that era really holds up today, you know, because that happened to be the influence that a lot of people drew from, and, like, the culture 
you know, progressed after it, it to their favor, but Naked Raygun, not at all. Yeah, well, I think the whole, the other th- thing, though, is that you have bands that kind of stand in the way of their own legacies resurging. And, you know, Screeching Weasel, I think, is an example of that. I don't think they've had the comeback that they would have had if the last few years hadn't played out the way they did. I, I, I think that's uh, probably true. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, fuck. Boogada Boogada and my brain hurts a great oh, incredible like you know and it's and I think anyone that followed that band for a long time knew that you know there was had to be a little separating of the art from the artist going on um, and because those are so like some of the best records ever like you know like I want to be a homosexual to me is like uh, uh, like one of the most perfect songs ever written yeah it's awesome I mean, and, it, and it's got a Canadian connection too so it's even more impressive to me Right, because it's uh, Sloppy Seconds? No, Bruce, yeah, Bruce LeBruce telling him to write it out about, off the Sloppy Seconds song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw Sloppy Seconds play with uh, Naked Raygun, actually, <laughs> back in the day a few times. Yeah, that's another band, though, that has some incredible songs. Might not get the comeback because of the lyrical content, but... Yeah, I mean, the lyrical content, and I mean, like, their look was something else, man. <laughs> like, yep. you know, with nothing but respect to those guys. And they were doing their own thing. But I mean, you saw those guys on stage and it was like, holy fucking shit, what am I looking at? You know, I mean, like, that dude is like wearing like train engineer outfits and the other guy was just like so big. His guitar looked like a ukulele on him. It was, it was, it was wild. I think that's, you know, I mean, kids in a in a crowd they want to see themselves on stage right that's yeah. why like young bands are always going to be the most popular bands you know and there ain't nobody that fucking looks like sloppy seconds or probably aspires to look that's like yeah, a poison idea maybe <laughs> poison idea yeah, yeah. that vibe around feel the darkness you know? yeah oh jughead's revenge i don't know if you ever yeah. found that live but they definitely had that kind of crazy yeah. dynamic on stage um, of course yeah where did you kind of go from, uh, so you guys, you, you joined Slapstick, and I guess at that point, you're just kind of going to shows and immersed in the culture, right? Right, exactly. That's when the Fireside Bowl happened, and we were just there at the right time, and we had, like, Slapstick had, like, a pretty meteoric rise, mm-hmm. um, and um, we were a big band when I was in high school. Um, you know, we played to, like, a 1,000 kids in Chicago, and um, so when the Fireside happened we were just like in the perfect like perch to like swoop in and have that kind of be our spot yeah you know so we went from like weird outsiders especially because like at that time there was all these really great chicago bands like apocalypse hoboken and oblivion and um you know 88 fingers louie and all these like cool punk bands and then we come in with fucking trumpets (laughs) people are like (laughs) what is this shit so like we had like a, a good second of being like the, the who the fuck are these guys? And then all of a sudden we became really big. And I think that uh, whether people liked it or not, they kind of had to be like, well, these guys, these guys are all right. Well, how did so, you fit in? Yeah. Like, how did you fit in with that scene? Cause like that's Chicago to me has always been such a cool place. We talked about this on the other podcast because there is so many different scenes seemingly happening at once. And yeah, no, to- totally so disparate. Yeah, it, it's absolutely true. And like, uh, the thing was, I don't know that we ever really totally fit into any of those scenes. I mean, we were friends with the guys in Hoboken and Oblivion and Smoking Popes and, you know, uh, 88 Fingers Louie. Those guys were all our buddies. But, like, 
and the bull weevils, you know, and, but there was always like the sense that like they were like a squad and we were kind of outsiders, I think. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that had a lot to do with the fact that like, I mean, we were a few years younger than all those guys. And like back then those like years were kind of crucial in identity, you know, but, uh, but yeah, slapstick kind of existed on its own until like ska exploded. And then there was like all these fucking bands that were like bringing in their like five saxophone players and shit. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think we, sorry, go on. I don't think we felt like we were a part of that either. So we kind of like, we were like, we're too ska for the punks and too punk for the skas. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, so we, we sort of existed in a bit of a bubble. Well, like, because you guys were around for a long time, right? Like, that split comes out in 1993. Yeah. Yeah. um, 95. Like, when did the ska explosion happen for you? I mean. I would say 94, 95, 96 was when ska was really, like, popping. That's when, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, we're talking to Brett Gerowitz and Tim Armstrong about records and stuff like that. And we're like, (laughs) you know, I mean, we're just a bunch of dumb kids. You know, was, and, uh, what happened then? I guess yeah. Was it just kind of like too much? Because you you did do that record on Dill Records, which was like a big label, but nothing. Like- yeah, well, we opened for Skank and Pickle, mm-hmm. and Mike Park was like, "You guys are the exact kind of band I want to sign." I just signed this band from Florida called Less Than Jake. Here's their tape of their uh, record that's going to come out. Listen to this if you like this. This is like the direction we're going. If we listen to that, we're like, "These guys seem cool." You know, the Suicide Machines are from Detroit, and we became really good friends with them. Mm-hmm. But, and then, like, all this shit kind of started happening. You know, uh, Suicide Machine signed to Hollywood. Um, Less than Jake signed to Capitol. And then we were going to, we had, like, this talk to sign with Epitaph as part of Hellcat, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, for whatever reason, at that point, I'd become too punk. <laughs> and I, 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 like, I basically fucked the whole thing up. Um, you know, I, I, looking back on it now, I'm just like, yeah, God, I, I was such a fucking idiot because I loved, you know, Bad Religion and Ranton. I was like, they're some of my favorite bands, but I was like, no way, man. They're talking about selling records. I don't do this to sell records. You know what? I, I'm the fucking, I'm the singer of this band. I'll just start another band and we'll be just as popular, which, believe me, I recognize now as being a completely asinine, stupid, selfish, deluded thing to say. But that, that was where I was at at the time. You know, and so, uh, so, so, you know, I like created a lot of tension and I started saying things like, well, if I wasn't in this band, I wouldn't listen to this band. And I think I like hurt a bunch of feelings and I went off and formed the Broadways with Dan Hannaway and Chris and Rob DePaula. (laughs) It's hard though to be a singer in a band that's going through a moment like that. Like, you know, like, uh, and I was never, you know, I wasn't that young when I had my brief moment of that where it just kind of fucks with your head and you end up doing crazy shit. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like, uh, looking back on it, it was just me being an idiot. You know, I, like, I don't, I, I like, I, I don't want to like sugarcoat it in any way. Those guys were all like, what are you talking about? This is an awesome opportunity. And I was like, nah, yeah. fuck this. You know, it's like, I, you know, I was making money cause records were selling, you know? And I was like, we got plenty of money. This, you know, this is cool. Let's just do it like this. And I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. So, <laughs> so did it? Did it kind of just like dissolve? Kind of, I guess, shortly thereafter, right? It yeah, I mean, like, I think 
those dudes, I think they just had enough of me. I think they started practicing without me and that didn't really work out exactly how they hoped. And then I started the Broadways and, you know, and then slapstick just sort of dissolved. It was like, I don't remember like a, we might've had a big last show, but I don't remember it. I remember getting back together for like a benefit show for a friend of mine, like a year later, but, but that was it. I mean, it, you know, it was just, it was just done, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Broadway's kind of like starts and like, you know, we talked about this also on the last podcast, but the thing I've always loved about the Broadway's is like, you know, you've got that influence from that kind of gruff pop punk stuff. Um, that I like, you know, I'm a huge fan of too, that Bay area kind of stuff. Um, and where and like, I guess, is that from that jawbreaker show or are you kind of into that stuff the whole time? Like, did you plan on doing a band like this even while you were doing, cause you don't seem like you're a ska punk fan. Uh, no, I never today. really was. Yeah. No, no. I mean like, you know, I love operation Ivy. I love rancid, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like that, you know, I like the clash. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how much those bands are even like ska punk bands. They're punk bands that have like a ska influence. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when the Broadway started, I mean, that was really some pretty fucking bald 15 worship <laughs> and crimp shrine. You know, those are, those are the bands like Jeff Ott was the guy to all yeah. four of us, you know, and we were just so taken with those records. And, um, I think we just wanted to, basically sound exactly like him and you know have a moment where we'd run into him somewhere and he'd be like well i like what you do (laughs) but you know i think that was the entire end game for the broadways (laughs) but uh interestingly enough the first time we ever met jeff he was standing outside of the show we drove to detroit to see him which was you know five and a half hour drive and in this place called 404 willis which was an abandoned building where they'd forgotten to turn off the power so the first person to show up would just do the door. Okay. <laughs> it was I slapstick played there before as well. It it was a real scene. Yeah. And um there was a there was a dude outside who would watch your car if you gave him ten dollars. Um which was code for I will break $10. into your car if you don't yeah. give me ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, give him ten dollars. <laughs> and um but uh we went up there to see him and we walk out and we're like, oh fuck, that's Jeff Ott right there. And what do I remember about Jeff Ott that day? He was barefoot, and he was wearing a leather fanny pack that was just packed to the brim. <laughs> and, I, you know, it was like almost like walking in on your parents fucking or something. I'm just like, I'm just going to pretend I didn't see that at all. <laughs> just keep walking. <laughs> yeah. So that was like sort of the beginning of the end of that, like, beautiful delusion. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean that the Broadways that that's what the Broadways were about. They've 100%. got they've got like yeah like that that it was and also it's like very cool that you guys were influenced by them because at the time that's a band that also you know influenced a lot of people but at the same time it's a small cult that loved. oh extraordinarily small cult I mean all of those like really fucking like you know like hickey and. 15 like these bands that almost like dared you to enjoy the music you know yeah, what i mean yeah like it, it, it was it was uh it was a cool time and it was like it just it was you know i guess looking back at it you could 
see it as like a sort of like a weird shroud of like elitism where it's like, no, oh, well, I, I get this. You know, this speaks to me. Oh, it doesn't speak to you. Interesting. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, so I like I think that maybe a little bit of that could have been at play as well. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there, some of that shit is so undeniable even to this day. Like the album Buzz by 15 completely holds up if you don't care about guitars or vocals being in tune <laughs> or production quality yeah. it's an amazing uh, album yeah no like i i think like every one of their records you know even like even like the hopeless era stuff um like he just has like a way of writing songs like these awkward phrasings that somehow make sense in the context of the super gruff pop punk song yeah well you see like to me jeff Ott, his input is like uh like a girlfriend I love too hard and then like woke up one day and was like, Ooh, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, <go back. laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, like I was with him all the way through no place like home. Good night. And then, um, when he put out that acoustic record, I was like, Nope, no, nope, oh, there, uh -huh. there are some incredible and, lyrics on that record. Oh my God. Like incredible songs. Like just like just mind, mind boggling, mind boggling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just like the kind of thing that like really kind of colors the whole experience in a different light, you know? Yeah. I so, remember being like, like in the lookout store in Berkeley as like this like kid that had gone down there to visit my friend in school and just like they played that record for me, like, oh yeah, you think this band's cool? Well check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like and I mean they came right off a of fucking landmine blew my legs off yeah. and i was like that is so badass yeah. and the next thing that they come out with i'm like oh no 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 i don't want <laughs> anything to do with this at all <laughs> so there's that there's that one on the comeback record where it's like suck needle up to the top of the needle and squirt it out that's that was originally one. on the acoustic record is that on the acoustic record oh yeah that's right oh yeah the cold acoustic record as an electric record as one of the comeback records that they did for all yeah like the that uh Dude, that song, like the electric version, is a lot to swallow. But the acoustic version, that's like four minutes longer because it's slow. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a real fucking steak dinner of a song, man. Oh, yeah. There's like, there's some. There's a lot of steak dinners on that. There's a lot of like yeah. roast beef, Sunday <laughs> roast type dinners also on that. <laughs> yeah, man. It is. It's fuck, yeah. It's, it's too much. It's too uh, much. So I guess, like, at that point, are you kind of, like, were you disillusioned at all? Or, like, because I guess that's the thing is, like, you, you doubt the Broadways were big. Like, obviously, probably not as big as Slapstick and not as big as, you know, at what Lawrence Arms and stuff became and stuff. But, like, it's still, like, you guys had a following, right? Like, I remember right away, people, there was almost, like, a buzz about the band uh, when as soon as you guys came out. Well, the Broadways had a lot of things working against us. Um and okay first of all that following i would uh, borrow a phrase from you and say very small very cultish uh, <laughs> but uh but it was um like first of all like you know i was the singer of like one of the sort of popular ska punk bands that had like come up in the beginning like before it was like a trend or whatever yeah and so everybody that came to see the broadways was expecting ska you know, I don't think the name did us any favors either because it really sounds like a scam. Yeah, definitely, name. definitely. And um, 
I think that's why I held out on the band for so long, too, is because I just assumed it was a ska punk band, especially on the Asian Man Records. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, I remember we played a show with Rhythm Collision in Santa Ana, California, <laughs> and there was this kid who came in. This is 100% true, and it was like we were playing on the floor, and it was like right by the door. I was on that side. The kid comes in, and I hear him go, where's the band with the guy from Slapstick? And the guy goes, this is the band. And the kid started to cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, that is a true thing that happened. And I mean, like, I think that if anything could sum up the Broadways in like one <laughs> anecdote, it, it is that. Like, that's what we were kind of up against. And it, you know, that kind of thing, like constantly disappointing people was fun for a second, you know, it was like very like Andy Kaufman-esque or whatever. But at a certain point we were like, man, we got cool songs. We got this like message we're trying to convey. Sorry. And all this. And all these kids want to do is skank, <laughs> you know? And so <laughs> I think, I think it, like we sort of like turned on each other. Like by the end of the Broadway, it was like, I don't think anybody was really getting along very well. So, uh, like, did you guys, like, when you were in Slapstick, did you, and, uh, like, was that Asian Man Records stuff, it wasn't happening yet, or is that just before that scene kind of came together? Like, were you playing um, with, like, that band Link 80 and stuff? Um, we did not play, we played some shows with Link 80, the Broadways did, Slapstick did not, I mean, Slapstick was, like, the horseshoe crab of that shit, you know, it was like, yeah, there was, like, Less Than Jake, Suicide Machines and MU330 were the only bands around, and Skank and Pickle. Yeah. And it was like, those were the bands we played with, period. You know, if we were like going on a tour or something like that. Um, now, I remember that being the big thing because like Link 80 was apparently that was how, that was, uh, it was like, that was like the big celebrity band or the child of a celebrity type band. And that was like the, yeah. the rub. It was like, oh, there's like this label and it's got this uh, famous person's kid on it and stuff like that and then it just exploded and it got huge yeah i mean well mike was really in the right place at the right time you know um like people were hungry for sky and where better to go than like the place that sort of like birthed like a lot of that fucking sound you know and you and then when he found the alkaline trio that was but i mean that was also based on fucking slapstick that was because dan was in the band mm-hmm well, it's amazing how, like, it's you look at all the explosion and, like, you know, Rise Against, Alkaline Trio, you guys, like, all these bands that kind of, like, it's almost like this is the the seeds that were planted at the time we're talking about coming to grow, you know, and that's, like, when they fully blossom. And it's, like, it's like all these bands that kind of end up taking over, you know, the music industry kind of all came out of, like, the same little scene. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's... If that's the way it goes, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, like in, in mainstream radio, it's like, can you imagine being some dipshit that lived in Seattle and just being like, oh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, Tad, <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're all fucking on MTV now. It's like they're all just like a bunch of dipshits that hung out at the same bar, you know, but it was like people like saw like a second field and they plowed it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think that's just like sort of, that's a, that's a thing that, but it's almost Always like you, you have to build it, right? Like, it's not like this stuff just happens, because how many other cities had great scenes that just no one ever really heard of, you know? Like, oh, like Naked, totally. Ray, talking about Naked Ray Gun earlier, like that, like, you know, they were big, but it wasn't like, 
it caught on in the same way that like Soul Asylum did or the Goo Goo Dolls did, you know? Like, right, totally. These bands found um, a way to make it work. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I, think, I think it probably, a lot of it comes back to what you were talking about earlier. Like, Chicago scene has always been so fractious, you know? And so there was no, like, great unifying thing. I mean, for a second, it was like, Slapstick was the most popular band coming out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we were like a weird ska band that didn't have any, like, you know, obvious antecedents or peers, you know? And, like, when the Alkaline Trio fucking burst on the scene, same. And when Rise Against burst on the scene, same. And it's just like... That I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were all, you know, buddies and and like we 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 knew each other and so it's like, oh, it's the guy from Slapstick's new band, the Alkaline Trio. Oh, hey, look, it's the guy from 88 Fingers, Louie, his new band, and they're playing with the Lawrence Arms, who I know because of the old Slapstick shows. I mean, like it really was that bizarrely. It all fucking strangely enough goes back to slapstick in a weird way um here i think in terms of like the bands that sort of were able to like you know really pursue things as a career and that's just like a bizarre accident i mean look with the exception of myself that was just like an incredibly talented group of kids you know that <laughs> like it just i don't know man it was lightning in a bottle or something well, yeah, like it's, but it seems like it was like your your like slapstick, obviously, and then Baxter are the two bands yeah. that like seem to have like birthed uh, you know like a ton of a ton of huge bands. Like, yeah, and, it's, 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 and, and it's amazing how like the membership still kind of like rotated and into the bands you guys are in now. I know it's it's very weird. I remember the first show we ever played with Baxter, the day I met Neil and the day I met Tim. Is the Broadways and Alkaline Trio opened for the Broadways that day, um, so it was Baxter, <laughs> Alkaline Trio, the Broadways, um, and some band called like I don't remember, fuck, I don't remember their name. Anyway, um, and I we were loading in, and we got into like where we were putting down the shit, and I'm like, did you see that guy with the big crazy afro singing for this band? It was Tim, and I was like, that guy is going to be famous as shit one day, and. Uh, Lo and behold. <laughs> Lo and behold. <laughs> the, the only prediction I've ever made that's come true. But uh <laughs> Should have put money in that stock. Yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, like it's 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 amazing, like you know, like and and it's also as you say, it's like these two bands that kind of were outlier bands. Like it wasn't part of like, you know, that, that defined sort of screeching weasel kind of scene or that defined sort of crudo scene or that defined like Charles Bronson scene or like even like the Billingsgate scene or something like that. Like you guys were both outlier bands from, you know, what I've Yeah. Done. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it would definitely seem like that. And, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, it's, it's hard to see anything from like where you're standing, like about yourself. Right. Yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, I think that the one thing that those two bands and the sort of subsequent bands had going for them was it because there was no real scene around them? There was no like barriers create creatively, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I think that those are bands that were able to like explore, you know. I mean, as much as you could explore the nuances of you know your various uh, strains of pop punk, <laughs> you know, like uh, these were. That's bands what I that do on this of... show. What do you mean? <laughs> like you act like that's <laughs> not a normal thing. Yeah, there's, it's like these are these are the bands that that were able to like you know, push those 
very structured walls just a tiny bit and, you know yeah that's luckily, all you need to do punk it's just pushing yeah a totally <laughs> totally I, where, where were you fucking 20 years ago I was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like you i was being like too punk for my own good and, and that yeah. i actually did it was more like 10 years ago for me um and uh causing myself headaches later in life yeah. uh so uh I guess, like, with the Broadways, like, you guys didn't really fit in, as you say, with sonically uh, with the rest of the bands on the label at the time. What were the bands that you kind of hoped to fit in with? Like, yeah, you know, mentioned the Jeff Ott dream. Um, but, like, were there other bands that you hoped to kind of play with or that you thought you guys fit in with or did fit in with? You know, it's so funny because, like, I, I like, kind of have answers to this, but they're so obscure <laughs> like that's his show dude we really Hickey. wanted to wanted yeah. to play with go deep we, we on wanted to play with let's go in on that yeah we well, we wanted to we wanted to play with hickey we saw hickey as like our spirit animal they like <laughs> i have i have that fucking seven inch and i it's like my most cherished piece of music memorabilia um you're familiar with the seven inch to which i refer the fuckface split or which Hickey record are you? I'm I'm now I'm um the feel like I'm close split seven inch. Oh okay. No, I don't actually have that one in particular. I should, I know oh, I have okay. to get it. Would you Would you like to hear a quick story about the coolest, like shittiest thing ever in the history of punk rock? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good, good because I will never tire of this tale. It's so good. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so Hickey is playing with uh, Rudy Glowskulls at the Nile Theater in Arizona, in Mesa, Tempe, whatever. And um, <laughs> they play before, and they get up there, and they're like, it's fucking Epitaph band with their fucking deli trays and all their fucking Epitaph money and all this bullshit. Fuck these guys. How about that? I can't wait to get done with this bullshit show so I can go drink my beer. I got one drink ticket. I'm going to go Drink my drink my beer, right? And they're just shit talking epitaph, they're shit talking the voodoo glow skulls. Whatever. They get off stage, singer dude goes and sits down, turns in his drink ticket, takes one sip of his beer, security comes up to him and is like, You gotta go. And he's like, What are you talking about? And they're like, Voodoo Glow Skulls won't take the stage until you guys are gone. They don't like what you had to say about their band. And he's like, and their label. So he's like, Alright, word, fine, puts down his beer goes they load out and as they're loading out they fucking swipe the voodoo glow skulls guys trumpet right <laughs> so they, they they steal his trumpet which ruins the show obviously nobody carries a fucking spare trumpet yeah yeah right and so the voodoo glow skulls guys know exactly who did it right and so they start calling their house and this is back in the day of like analog answering machines and shit. yeah yeah and they start leaving these messages and the messages are super fucked up they're like you know hey hickey you faggots down in san fag cisco you know before you die of aids you better give us back our trumpet shit like that right? holy fuck <laughs> and they start leaving all these fucking crazy messages that are just like each one is more fucked up than the last and there's one where it's like hey hickey what's up it's frank i'm calling from Amsterdam, I'm calling on epitaph time, on epitaph money, and like this whole fucking thing, <laughs> right? And meanwhile, the dudes in Hickey are just loving this, and they're on tour, and they've got the trumpet, and they start taking pictures of them with the trumpet in various places all around the fucking world, and sending it to Rudy Glowskull, right? 
And so at this point, everything is amazing, but it's not quite amazing enough. So what Hickey does at this point is they fill the Trump, trumpet completely with pudding and mail it back to Voodoo Glow Skulls, which makes them furious and like makes them completely double down on these horrible answering machine messages and everything. So then Hickey takes all the fucking messages that they left on the answering machine, presses them onto one side of a seven inch, puts their song on the other side, puts a booklet outlining the whole story with all the photos of the trumpet all over the country and all over the world in the booklet, put it out as a voodoo glow skulls, Hickey split seven inch, put the epitaph logo on the back of the seven inch <laughs> and fucking donate a hundred percent of the proceeds to an AIDS charity. So they couldn't even be sued. <laughs> My God, that's awesome. Which is the greatest fucking thing that has ever happened in punk rock, I think. And I mean, it, it, Believe me, the idea of stealing someone's instrument, I think, is pretty reprehensible. But if you're going to do something that bad, and you better get a story this good out of it. I yeah. Think. <laughs> and, and so a little fucking dumb aside, on the last Lawrence Arms record that's on Epitaph, at the beginning of the third song, there's a, there's a fucking sample, and it's me. And it's like, hey, what's up? This is the Lawrence Arms. We're calling you on Epitaph Time, on Epitaph Money. <laughs> so that's a, that's a callback to that record, that split. Yes, yes, you, exactly. You ultimately did get your dream of being on Epitaph that you screwed yourself out of when you were a kid. Yeah, I know. I've never talked to Brett about that. I mean, <laughs> which is interesting, yeah. I guess. I mean, not that like me and Brett sit around on the phone all the time or anything, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. I got we uh, J Tree uh, sold its uh, catalog to Epitaph, um, so we all got emails from Brett being like, "Here's my phone number, call me," because uh, you know this is now the home of your records, and uh, I still haven't yeah. called him yet, but I'm going to call him, and uh, I look forward to the conversation one day. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've never met him. He, he's he's a he's a great dude, man. He's a very nice, very 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 smart guy. Yeah, well, God, yeah. Like, that's, it's amazing. Like, talk about someone who's been able to kind of, like, ride that wave. Like, oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, that guy's, like, I mean, beyond the fact that he wrote, like, some of the best punk rock songs of all time, he's also started, like, one of the best record labels, period, of all time, and been able to, like, keep it, like, solvent and, like, pretty relevant for yeah. a very, very long time. Yeah, like it's never like it's funny because like you look at other labels, you know, like big labels that kind of felt like they were kind of approaching that. It just hit a point where they self-destructed. Um, yeah, and that's a label that just hasn't done that. You know, it's always just kind of like ridden that wave. Yeah, it's 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 very very impressive. To see. Well, you and me are label mates now somehow through some uh -huh. uh, weird dealings. Oh uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, I want to talk to you forever. Because we didn't get to end, talk to any of the fun other stuff I wanted to force you to talk about, but uh, I and I think, but I've kept you long enough. I'm sure you have other things to do tonight. But I kind of, I just wanted to kind of end with. So after the Broadway's end, and will you come back for a part two? I guess or part three at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd be uh, more than happy to. Awesome. So I guess like yeah, we should just kind of leave it at the end of the Broadway's, and and I guess so as the band dissolved, you've now kind of like 
been part of two bands, one, you know, pretty hugely successful, especially in terms of punk, and then one that, you know, as you say, was maybe not as successful. Were you kind of disillusioned? And at this point, did you thought ever think about, like, packing it in at all, or...? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, for one thing, I have, like, a creative compulsion that, like, really, like, manifests itself as, like, my uh, master, for lack of a better term. And it's, like, pop up and I'll be like, I have to write, like, three songs before I go to work. And they'll be terrible, you know, (laughs) but, like, it's just, like, the idea of, like, expelling these things out of me. So, like, I always kept writing songs. I mean, like, I kicked around the idea of, like, doing, like, a more, like, sort of country-western thing, because I've always been a huge fan of uh, sort of the country genre. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I wrote this one song that's, like, the first song on the first Lawrence Arms record, and I was like, oh, this is the kind of band I want to be in. And I was roommates with Chris, and he was like, I don't know, dude. I don't know if I want to be in another band <laughs> you and i was like oh, under- understandable to be sure but here's the song and i've got this guy neil the guy from baxter playing the drums maybe let's just have a practice and so you know we there was there's probably a good seven months between the broadways and the lawrence arms but there there's never i was plenty disillusioned and i didn't expect the lawrence arms to do anything at all mm-hmm. but um but you know uh i, I was really like it was just really exciting to be in that band and all of a sudden be like, Oh, this is the exact kind of music I want to be playing. And so, uh, any sort of disillusionment. Well, uh, did you guys actually, did the Broadway's ever play Toronto? Yes. Yes. The Broadway's did play Toronto Broadway's. <sighs> Fuck. I can't remember, but I remember, like going to Toronto, I remember getting kicked out of Canada. <laughs> um, I remember being turned away at the border. I remember doing a U-turn after we'd gotten into Canada. We decided we wanted to get a hotel in the states because it would be cheaper. <laughs> Flipped around, and then we were like, "Nah, fuck it, let's go back to Canada." And we were like, "We were just here," and they're like, "Yeah, no, we saw you do a U-turn on the bridge. You can't do that. You're, there's no way we're letting you back in." And we we're like, "No." So, <laughs> oh god. Uh, well, uh, as I say, I would love to talk to you forever, but I'm sure you got stuff to do tonight. Um, but yet you said you're going to come back for part three, right? Of course. Of course. I'd be oh. more than happy to. Well, I, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, uh, Brendan. And, uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you again soon, my friend. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Damien. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome, dude. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Brendan, for coming on the show. And as you can hear right there, we didn't get very far at all. So we're going to have to do part twos and threes and whatever. He promised a lot there. So we're going to have a lot more coming in the future with him. Speaking of future, next week on this very program, I have no idea what you're going to hear. I haven't had a chance to sit down and talk to anyone yet. Uh, But I'm going to figure it out. Don't you worry. There will be a show next week, and it'll be a a good one. How do I know if I haven't recorded it? Because you deserve a good one, and that's all I'm going to make sure I give you is a good podcast every single time that I get a chance to do this. So once again, 
sorry to everyone for the uh, upset in the schedule, but also thank you for your diligence and your patronage. And yeah, just coming here every week and listening to this thing. It blows my mind when I get to meet people at random wrestling events and they're like, hey, I listen to your podcast. That, I don't know, that is something that still has yet to get over being shocking. <laughs> so I thank you to everyone who's come up and said that. Uh, that's it. That's it. I'm going to go to bed now because it's late. Unless you're listening to this during the day and then it's early, I guess, right, for you. But for me, it's late. Thank you, everyone. Go out there and make your own culture because God only knows what kind of mess you're going to find yourself in because of it. But also, what an amazing mess to be in. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you next week. Love you. Bye.